I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Tobias Wells' neo-Gothic tale of small-town terror. A die in the country. Starring Peter Marshall. Susan Strasberg. And Andrew Duggan. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by State Farm Insurance, the makers of Wrigley Gum and the makers of Delco Batteries. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. the Severson's wanted was to move away from Boston to a quiet little house in the country. And that's precisely what they did. However, there were a great many unexpected bonuses thrown into the bargain. Threatening letters, obscene phone calls, wife-swapping neighbors, a strange disappearance, and an accusation of murder. As Detective Newt Severson, with the reluctant cooperation of Wellesley Police Chief Torrance, presses for an investigation into the affairs of town selectman Rudolph Wharton. Wellesley's elusive, obscene telephone caller strikes again. This time with a call to Severson's young wife, Brenda, while she's home alone, awaiting the impending birth of their first child. For Newt Severson, life in the country is about to explode and reverberate down to the very foundation of his existence. In a moment, the conclusion of a die in the country... But first, this word. Hey, cowboy, you got a minute for range fire reading? Might save some mighty fine grazing land, expensive land from going up in smoke. Hundreds of thousands of acres did just that last year, you know, including valuable watershed. So along with spring feeding came the mud and the silt that polluted streams and eroded more soil. And all because a couple of waddies got careless. Preventing range fires ain't tough work. It's a whole lot easier than fighting them or cleaning up after them. So first off, do some snooping. Check the spark arresters on all your equipment, tractors, trucks, jeeps, bikes. If you see that they're rusted out or burn out, get them replaced. And start using a shovel to put out your campfires, like old Smokey Bear does. And last, remember Range Fire Rita when you fix them to burn off some brush. Check first with your local fire folks. Range fires are wildfires. Don't start something you can't finish, cowboy. I was furious with myself for not being home with Brenda at this crucial stage of her pregnancy. I was just caught up in this Wharton business, so when Brenda got that crank phone call, it just set me off. Never mind Rudolph Wharton and whether or not he did or didn't murder his wife. Let's get this damn phone freak out of circulation. Calm down, Severson. Just get on home to your wife. We're working on this telephone business. There's, uh, there's one thing, Chief. This puts young Farley in the clear about everything except that car theft charge. And he can probably be released to the custody of his parents pending his arraignment. 
they want it that way. I think maybe they will. I'll get back to you on the Wharton case as soon as I'm satisfied my wife feels okay. And I'll get on the airline's angle meanwhile. Oh, but um, will you do me a favor, Severson? Play this close until if and when we really have something. Yeah, I know. I know. Wait a minute. This call to Brenda gives us something new on the phone nut. What's that? He didn't work from the Wellesley directory this time. We're not in it. He must have gotten it from information. Then. No, no, he couldn't have. We have an unlisted number. I've been wondering too, Newt. How did he get our number? Did he address you by name? Yes, right away. He said, hello, Mrs. Severson. But you didn't recognize the voice at all? No, no, it it, it was deep and, oh, sort of suave sounding. Yeah, Dolly Celine called it sexy. Oh, well, I'm not Dolly Celine. I would have hung up on him right away, but I knew you'd want me to find out everything I could. Thanks, but I hope you didn't stick with that nut too long. I couldn't. It was just, oh, it was too much. I had to hang up. What time was this? Just before you called me? Yes, oh, about 4.30. Later than usual for him. I just wish I knew how he got our number. So do I. If we knew that, it might tell us who he is. The thing to do is make a list of everybody who knows our number or anybody who's been inside the house where they could have seen it on the phone. That, that could have been, oh, even any of the workmen who've been here. Exactly. Even that sweet little old man who hung our new wallpaper? Darling, I'm a suspicious cop, remember? That sweet little old man could very well have a sexy telephone voice. What a hornet's nest we found ourselves in with this innocent little move out into the country. Maybe Brenda was right. Other people seem to live out their lives without coming up against murder, robbery, assault, and heaven knows what. I was beginning to wonder myself, did the crime attract the cop or did the cop attract the crime? It didn't matter. At the moment, I considered myself on a possible murder case, and I figured by now my contact in California had had time enough to check out that house and its neighbors in Riverside. anything for me? I don't know, but for what it's worth, here's the rundown. The neighbors don't seem to know anything about a sister, but then they say Eulalie Mayhew isn't much of the neighborly type. You mean her sister could be there, and they wouldn't know it, huh? Mm, that was the impression they gave me. But none of them could say that they'd seen both sisters together? No, I didn't get that from anybody, but for your information, at the moment, there's nobody living in the house. What do you mean, nobody? Whether there was one sister or two, they're not there now. The next morning at headquarters, I passed Dyer's information on to Chief Torrance. So, what do you think it means? I'd like to find out from Wharton what it means, but I don't want to flush him out at this point. Maybe Lely Mayhew has already flown the coop. No, 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 it wouldn't make sense. I mean, Wharton still needs her around, right? Oh, by the way, does Eulalie have any of her father's holdings? No, Ernestine was the old man's favorite. Eulalie was left just with an annuity. More than adequate, I understand, but it was a definite slight. Hmm. That gives Eulalie a bit of a motive, too, doesn't it? Oh, not for murder, I shouldn't think. But I suppose it could weaken her resistance against aiding and abetting. Any luck on that check of the airlines? Not yet. 
There's a chance she wouldn't have used her own name, of course. Yes? Oh, yes, of course. Tell him to come in. Wharton's on his way in. Mr. Wharton, how are you? Hello, Chief. Uh, Severson, they told me you were in here, and I was hoping to talk to both of you. Well, what's up, Mr. Wharton? Well, for one thing, I've just learned that my wife has left the country. Oh? She's gone on an extended trip. I don't know for how long, Hawaii, the Orient, perhaps. Around the world? I don't know, Mr. Severson. My sister-in-law tells me she wasn't certain. In fact, Eulalie is quite concerned about Ernestine. In what way? Well, it seems our separation has been weighing heavily on her. She's been very depressed. And now, suddenly, she's just packed up and gone. You ladies quite distraught. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Mr. Wharton. Any way we can be of help? No, no, there's, there's nothing even I can do. We're just hoping Ernestine will be in touch with one of us soon. It wouldn't be too difficult to locate her, I imagine, if we get on it quickly enough. No, I, I wouldn't want her to think I was keeping tabs on her. She wanted her freedom. I think maybe a trip is a good idea for her at this time. Yeah, probably is. Frankly, at the moment, it's Eulalie I'm concerned about. I didn't think she should be alone out there worrying about her sister, so I suggested that she come here, back to Wellesley for a while. Well, now, it'll be nice to see Eulalie Mayhew again. You're going to enjoy meeting her, Severson. She's quite a woman. Yes, I'd like very much to meet her. Uh, you'll have the opportunity. That's why I'm here. You'll both come, won't you? Come? Come where? To my house, Saturday night. I'm throwing a little party for you, Lily, to uh, welcome her home. We're number one. We're the largest company, and uh, you don't get to be the largest company unless you're doing a little extra for people. Agent Bill Rich of Logan, Utah, explains why State Farm Mutual is the world's largest car insurer. This is what the consumer feels, and you know that if a consumer feels State Farm is number one, it's got to be on two things, service and price. And if you're not uh, competitive in both of these areas and do the job, uh, the customer is not going to rate them where they have. We're number one. We only got there because we were most competitive or as competitive as anyone and because we're there to serve. Service and price. That's what car insurance value is all about. And there are two good reasons to see your nearby State Farm agent now. Like a good neighbor, we'll return to our story in a moment. This is Gene King for your Better Business Bureau. Homeowners can save 15 to 30% on their winter heating bills by installing weather stripping around doors and caulking around all windows. A quarter-inch crack under a door leading to an attic or other unheated area may cost $4.5 per winter in lost heat. Incidentally, you can also increase the wintertime comfort and decrease the heating bills you'll have to pay by installing storm windows, which reduce loss through windows by 50%. Storm windows usually pay for themselves in 7 to 10 years, and thereafter return an annual dividend of 13 to 18% in fuel savings. Another way to reduce loss of heat in winter is to install proper insulation. In a cold to moderately cold climate, a homeowner can save enough on his fuel bill to recover the cost of the insulation within 8 to 12 years. A consumer tip from your Better Business Bureau. 
Brenda's only concern when I told her about Wharton's party was which of her maternity dresses looked the least like a maternity dress. My concern was that I had Dr. Abrams' number in my pocket. It would be just like our stubborn son and heir to put in his belated appearance just as I was closing in on a murder. I wonder if he's invited any of the other neighbors. Mercy Bird wouldn't come if they asked her. Mercy's only come out of her house long enough to give Algernon a quick walk lately. She must be busy writing a new book. Mm, as long as she's not writing any more letters. What about the Farleys? Do you think they'll be there? I doubt it. I gather the only neighborliness between the Whartons and the Farleys was Ernestine Wharton's friendship with young Greg. Mm, it's a shame she isn't around to help him now. Maybe not. Maybe his own parents will come through for him this time. Is Greg still in jail? No. His mother brought him home this afternoon. Oh, Newt, doesn't it scare you? Pretty soon we're going to be parents. Mm, I don't know. Junior is sure taking his time about getting here. I don't blame him, considering all that's been going on. Well, tell him to hold off at least a few more hours. I don't think Rudolph Wharton's cocktail party is going to be any place to have a baby. Saturday couldn't come fast enough for me. Call it my suspicious cop nature, but I was certain the party would be a showdown. I spent any free time I had at home nursing along the ivy I'd planted around the railing of our porch. I was hoping to catch a glimpse, a sneak preview of Eulalie Mayhew. But I never saw a sign of her, or Wharton for that matter. Finally... Ah. Hello, Severson. Uh, you know my wife? Uh, yes, of course. Good of you to join us, Mrs. Severson. Come in. I want you to meet you lately. Before he had led us halfway across the room, I saw her. Shining silver gold hair, a flawless skin, glowing under a golden California suntan. Eyes the color of pansies, the young girl's body in a sleek gold cocktail dress. So, that was you, Lely Mayhew. I found myself wondering if Ernestine, wherever she was, still looked like her sister. Ludy tells me you're a detective. That's right. Uh, Mr. Severson is with the Boston police, but it appears he's intrigued by our little transgressions in Wellesley as well. Uh, which reminds me, uh, I believe Chief Torrance has some news for you, Severson. He's right over there. A detective? A police chief? Well, it appears Rudy has himself surrounded by the law. What a lovely outfit you have on, Mrs. Severson. Thank you. Will this be your first? I left Brenda gazing enviously at Eulalie Mayhew's sylph-like figure and made my way across the room to see what Torrance had come up with. If it were the information we'd been after from the airlines, Wharton unwittingly may have just directed me toward his own undoing. Oh, Severson, you'll want to hear this. Dennehy called in a little while ago with quite a piece of news. Uh, concerning our genial host? No, not this time. It's the telephone nut. We've got him. Hallelujah! Are you sure? I mean, how did you find him? It was that list you had your wife make up that did it. You know, all the workmen who had been in your house since you moved in. Now, don't tell me it was the sweet little old man who owned the wallpaper. Ah, but you're close. Try the nice, clean-cut, all-American type who installed your telephone. A guy from the telephone company? <laughs> Why is it we never think of the obvious? Seems he just kind of blends into the woodwork. Nobody pays any attention to him. Mm. And once he's done his job, you forget he was there. But when we went back and checked, we found him everywhere. When Dennehy moved in on him in a cruddy little apartment over in Needham, there it was. A little yellow Wellesley directory and a raft of porno junk all over the place. Did he own up? To everything but the Dolly Selene attack, claims he never done any real harm to anyone. Just a talker, not a doer, according to him. Do you buy that? Dennehy does. 
He thinks the guy called her all right, but he never went near her. But then, how do you explain... Well, I don't know. We're going to have to have another talk with Mrs. Celine. Chief, here comes Dennehy now. What's he doing here? I don't know, but he sure is in a hurry. I hope he doesn't knock anybody over. What is it, Dennehy? That piece of information you've been waiting for just came in, Chief. From the airline? You really hit the nail on the head, Newt. On January 9th, just the day before an E. Wharton flew out of Boston, an E. Mayhew flew in from L.A. Well, now... Isn't that interesting? Uh-huh. I think maybe our host will find it much more stimulating than the usual cocktail party conversation. I took pity on the chief and went to look for Wharton myself. I found him more or less where I expected, on the terrace in the shadows with a glint of gold lame beside him. Sorry to disturb you, Mr. Wharton, but something's come up about your wife. Rudy... Uh, what about my wife, Mrs. Everson? The uh, chief will explain. He and Dennehy are in the study. You can come too, Miss Mayhew, if you wish. Uh, y- yes, of course. Has anything... Has anything happened to her? I have the feeling we'll all have an answer to that very soon. Flavor this big shouldn't be left behind. So wherever you go, carry a pack of Wrigley Spearmint Gum. Wrigley Spearmint. It's the finest spearmint flavor. The great Wrigley taste, delicious to chew. Wrigley Spearmint Gum. Maybe all you know about batteries is that they're necessary to start your car. And you want one that will start and start and start your car. That's just what the Delco Energizer was designed to do. It supplies a super burst of power instantaneously to start a car in almost any weather. Get a Delco battery for your car. Look for the red, white, and blue Delco sign. Well, the more you know, the more you want Delco. The more you know, the more you want Delco. The Zero Hour continues after this. The Marines are looking for a few good men. Men who want to learn good jobs. And today, a qualified man can choose the direction he wants to go in the Marine Corps. Choose the kind of skills he wants to learn. Like computers, aircraft maintenance, or electronics, radio communications, food services, aviation technology. You name it, Marines do it. If you want to learn it, the Marines will teach you skills, responsibility, and leadership in any field you can handle. Remember, qualified men can choose their own directions in the Marine Corps. Skills to learn, careers to build in many directions. The Marines are looking for a few good men who want to choose their own directions, want to learn good jobs, want to be Marines. Despite Eulalie Mayhew's involuntary gasp and her alarmed look of a cornered doe, Wharton remained as unruffled as ever. I went on ahead alone to the study. A few moments later, they followed me in. Dennehy looked nervous in his uniform. I felt like our cat mine hair out stalking prey. Chief Torrance was less ferocious, so I let him begin. 
I'm sorry, Mr. Wharton, but several things have come up that we need to have explained. Well, that's all right, Chief. I can understand your position. Well, what sort of things? Well, for one, that letter we received from your wife confirming her whereabouts in California. Well, what about it? Well, we have it on good authority, very good authority, that it was not written by your wife at all. Really? That instead it was written by you, Eulalie. By me? But I... Never mind, Eulalie. You don't have to deny it. I'll explain. Oh, please do, Mr. Wharton. As a matter of fact, Eulalie did write the letter at my request. Why was that? Because Ernestine refused to. As far as I was concerned, she didn't care if I rotted in hell. You uh, never indicated before that there was that much animosity between you and your wife, Wharton. Because I wanted to spare you, Laylee. You see, the truth is, my wife was insanely jealous of her sister. Oh, that's something I never knew. Ernestine didn't seem the type. Oh, well, it was only where I was concerned... She constantly made the accusation that it was you, Laylee, I really loved. You, Laylee, I should have married. I see. Mr. Warden, there's something else. We know that on January 10th, someone under your wife's name boarded a plane out of Boston for Los Angeles. That was my wife, Severson. Who else would it be? You, Laylee? But you, Laylee, was in California at her house in Riverside. No, she wasn't. We have the evidence that you Eulalie came here to Wellesley on January 9th. Rudy. If she did, Detective Severson, I know nothing about it. Rudy. Were I... you here, Eulalie? You should have taken me into your confidence. I might have been able to help you out of this. Rudy, what are you saying? I knew, of course, how much resentment toward my wife Eulalie has always felt since their father died, leaving a will that favored Ernestine. But I never thought you, Laylee, could be capable of taking any kind of cold revenge on a sister. That's not what happened. Wharton, what are you trying to pull? You know very well you, Laylee, was here at the time of your wife's disappearance. It was at your request that she came. But that's impossible. I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't even here in Wellesley myself at that time. You weren't? I was out of town, in Virginia, attending a golf tournament. And I can account for every moment of my life. Look out, time. she's got my gun. Rudy! Oh, really, put that down. No. Oh, oh Rudy. Rudy. Why? I'm sorry. It's all my fault, Chief. Get the door, Dennehy. Keep everybody out. I better call an ambulance, Newt. No reason to. Warden's dead. It was all in the Wellesley newspaper. It was on the front page for weeks. The gradual piecing together of the facts. Ernestine Wharton had told her husband she was divorcing him, reclaiming the titles to all of her properties and leaving him penniless. In a rage, Wharton had killed her. Killed her on the 7th of January. Greg Farley testified that he had spent most of January 6th in Ernestine Wharton's company. And January 8th, was the day it was proven that Rudolph Wharton left Wellesley to attend the golf tournament in Virginia. Eulalie Mayhew arrived in Wellesley on the 9th, not knowing that her sister was dead. She maintained the stance at the trial. She swore she hadn't known and never saw the body. 
Oh, come now, Miss Mayhew. It certainly would be to your advantage to cooperate at this point and tell this court where the body of your sister, Ernestine Mayhew Wharton, lies buried. I don't know, I tell you. Remember, she was the victim of a cold, calculating murderer, Rudolph Wharton. Where is your poor sister now, Miss Mayhew? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The trial went on and on, and the prosecution hammered away at Eulalie Mayhew about the location of her sister's body. The only thing in the next few weeks that was resolved was Brenda's condition. It was a seven-pound, eight-ounce boy. Do you think Eulalie Mayhew's telling the truth, Newt? Well, then he does. And he's become something of an authority on hysterical women, ever since he broke down that story of Dolly Celine's. Imagine, deliberately hurtling herself down the stairs to fake an attack just for attention. Gradually, Wellesley finally became the quiet little suburban town we thought it would be when we first moved in, before Meinherr came scampering into the house that first night with a dead squirrel in his mouth. But, of course, as Mercy Bird reminded us daily, no one had yet discovered where Rudolph Wharton had hidden his wife's body. Then one day... Brenda had just coaxed the baby into taking his afternoon nap. I was out on the porch trimming the ivy that was threatening to take over the house when... I got it! I got it! Uh, honey, here comes Mercy and she's got it. Whatever it is. I figured it out. I figured it out. I knew if I just kept working on it, I'd come up with the answer. You mean you think you know where the body's buried? I don't think I know. I know. Now listen to this. Fortin committed the murder on January 7th. On January 8th, I had the flu. It was a Friday. I remembered well. I just sat up in bed all day, looking out the window and watching the workmen. Workmen? Yeah, they had to delay digging earlier because the ground was frozen. But then there was an early thaw that first week in January, and they came and poured the cement that day, and I was watching them. January 8th. Now, Rudolph Walton carried his wife's body away during the night of January 7th, put it in the hole, covered it with dirt and stones. And the next morning, the workman came and supplied a handy cement tomb. What workman? Yeah, Mercy, what are you talking about? I'm talking about your house. Well, it's being remodeled before you moved in. You can take my word for it. I know where the body is. We're standing on it. <laughs> Ernestine Mayhew is buried right here under your front porch. <laughs> listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. The sounds you hear are happening at girls' clubs throughout our country. They are happy sounds. Girls swimming, sewing, cooking, having fun and learning to develop their potential for leadership. Today's girls want and need these programs. This is Mrs. Harold Kazanjan, president of Girls Clubs of America, asking you to help in your own community. Lend a hand at your local girls club or write to Girls Clubs of America, Box 35, Grand Central Station, New York, 10017. Find out how you or your organization can start a girls' club. People working with girls' clubs can make a difference. 
in this life, one thing counts in the bank. Large amounts. I'm afraid these don't grow on trees. You've got to pick a pocket or two. You've got to pick a pocket or two. Hello, my dears. This is Fagin calling. I've always known as Ron Moody. You've got to pick a pocket or two. The music you're hearing is from the score of our show, Oliver. Great things happened in those years, and great things are still happening today in many fields. One of these is the field of art research. New methods are being found to prevent and treat the art diseases, and that means longer, healthier lives for all of us. Please support this life-saving work with a gift to the Art Fund this month. It takes all of us working together. Remember, you got to pick a pocket or two now and again if you want to help. That concludes this week's production of The Zero Hour. Tobias Wells, a die in the country. Next week, we'll begin another exciting dramatization of a tale of mystery and suspense. We'll tell our story in five days, at the same time, Monday through Friday. So on Monday, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. Today's episode brought to you in part by State Farm Insurance, Wrigley Gum, and Delco Batteries. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. You have been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. This is the Mutual Radio Network.